Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Here are your hosts, Dave AC and The Sixth Doctor. to another episode of the Gotham Collective Podcast. Yes, it's Sunday, and yesterday was Saturday, and that means Doctor Who was on. So that means we're here to talk all about what happened on Doctor Who yesterday. Sounds good, doesn't it? Anyway, here's Dave. <laughs> ah, I thought we were going to talk about my daughter's uh, first wedding anniversary. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. Happy anniversary, everyone. And Tom. And Tom, sorry. And Tom, yes, yes, you too. Just couldn't have done it without you. <laughs> well, I mean, I've heard of people marrying themselves before. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's you in the mirror story again. Yeah, exactly. Or that, yeah. that poster of Perry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not that Perry, the other Perry. Um, I'm in a really good mood. Uh, not got any news I don't think to talk about today, but very quickly, just want to say, Souk Dalsanvice went to see Spectre, thoroughly enjoyed it, highly recommend it. I thought it was a Pretty classic uh, Doctor Who uh, story, James Bond story. <laughs> Excellent. It's a decent Doctor Who story too. It's just it's not got the Doctor in it, or the TARDIS, or Clara. Or... I've got a feeling that I could start a, an hour-long debate here, Ian. So, so apologies for this. The guy who plays C in James Bond, I could see him as do- the Doctor. Yeah. Now, 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 duck some covers. <laughs> <laughs> can't remember the actor's name, but the, the guy who plays, uh, not C, no, not C, that was the Moriarty guy, uh, the one who plays um, Q, sorry. Oh, yeah, easy. I can see that too. I like him. Dead good. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> let's see who else is dead good today. <laughs> yeah, I always, get my, I always get my C's and Q's mixed up. P's and Q's, C's and Q's. Oh, falling on deaf ears, you know. All good stuff, this. Sorry, what? Hmm. <laughs> Just a minute of joke. All right. Let's see who else is joining us on audio. Joining us on audio today, uh, Rick Wall is here. Hello, sir. I am? Oh, I guess I am. Hello. <laughs> Hello. I'm glad you could make it. Glad to be here as usual. Right, also joining us on audio, Mr. Darth Skeptical is here. Hello, Darth. Hello, how are you? Good, 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 good. Glad you could make it. Uh, 
Also joining us on audio, but just actually just listening in uh, on speakerphone is, is Ozzy Luke. Don't have, don't have to reply if you don't want to, Ozzy Luke, but uh, glad to have you on board. All right, uh, that's everybody who's on audio. Just a small room today. Maybe indicative of the episode. I don't know. Just saying. All right, let's see who's under the cone of silence. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And joining us in the cone... Tom Baker's old scarf is here, and so is Cybob. Cool. There we go. That's everybody. Uh, the monkey yeah. took the day off. What? I was going to say, it's Ben, ben Wishlaw that I was trying to think of, who played uh, Q. Very good at it. I like him. Good replacement. Oh, yeah. All right. Yes, moving swiftly onwards. Uh, no monkey today. Uh, the monkey's got the day off. Uh, there's no news. Well, nothing that we've got put together or have stolen from other places. <laughs> so it's straight on to, to, to tell you how you can join us here at the Colton Collective. And here's Tick Spencer to tell you how. If you enjoy listening, why not join the Collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. There you go. It's as easy as that. All right. It's time to get down to the nitty-gritty and talk about this week's episode of Doctor Who. Nitty-gritty, gritty, get it, get it, get it, we'll see what it did there. Gritty? No? No? Okay. Uh. <laughs> All right, Dave, save them from my joke book. Okay, well, um, we've got a small but very talented group in the room, but even though we've got talent in the room, I think I'll go first. <laughs> Uh, because we're going in uh, a little bit of reverse order from last week, so we may be going then to Ian and then following on with Darth. But before we do that, remember we have to say spoilers when we do this uh, each and every time. And uh, I've got a few little clips to get us going, so let's have uh, a clip to start us off. You must not watch this. I'm warning you, you can never unsee it. But if you do watch... Gagan Rasmussen. I'm Gagan Rasmussen. This is Le Verrier Lab in orbit around Neptune. I've put things together into some kind of order uh, so that you can uh, understand. This is what happened. Stop staring! They came from Triton. This is Chopra. A bit of an attitude, in my opinion. Calm down, Pat. Well, it's ridiculous. That thing's meant to be a lethal fighting machine. It just moons around like a lovesick puppy. I could hear you ranting from inside the pod chopper, for the God's sake. Feel better? Commander Nagata. Young for the responsibility. Quite a baptism of fire, I'm afraid. Marvellous, ma'am. All hell morph, you say? 
Deep Ando, conscript. Likes to think of himself as the joker of this little group. Well, he did. Morpheus, Morpheus, Morpheus. Sleeps the one thing left to us. The one thing they couldn't get their filthy mitts on, now they're even grabbing that. Colonizing it. Sporting like a true rip. Oh, don't call me that. I don't call me that, Mom. Give it a rest, Pat. Give what a rest? This is a mission, Chopra. We find out what's happened on the video and then we all go on. Okay, and um, by the way, I should just say that um, Ian will be doing the <coughs> grunt work today. But uh, <coughs> other than that, <laughs> let's get on. Just as well, in that first clip, they actually introduced uh, some of the people who would be taking part because um, there was so little to be um, concerned about their welfare that at least we got to know their names. And uh, without that, we would have perhaps even had less than a passing feeling for for their situation and their demise. But I'm, I'm going to give them... Um, yeah, I'm going to go twi on twice as long here, Ian, because I'm going to give two sort of reviews, if I may. Uh, just to mention that uh, the overnight figures for this one, uh, just at 4 million this time. Uh, and, of course, this aired on the, in the, here in the UK and in other places, but starting on the 14th of November. And it's Series 9, Episode 9, Sleep No More. Uh, I'm afraid, judging by some of the uh, things I'll be reading out later from the Cult Collective Facebook page, some people did actually uh, fall to sleep somewhat. Now, um, I started watching it um, after being to see the said James Bond film, and after partaking of a few ales in the public place of uh, discussion afterwards. So I didn't get to see it until about 2am in the morning, uh, real time. So I was Actually, I think I was watching it about the same time Ian was uh, on BBC America. Uh, and I have to say that I didn't get particularly engrossed at all. I, I'm not really into this sort of Blair Witch type of way of doing uh, stories. And that's not for the fact that um, maybe you should say that it was good that they did try something different. I mean, it, it, it did take a... Uh, a different way of looking at it. Certainly in Dot 2, I'm not saying that this way of uh, telling a story I've done uh, before, uh, this handheld view of cameras, as it were, and odd angles and a slightly dizzying uh, array, very, very dark, uh, illuminated, uh, lightly illuminated scenes as well. Uh, and, and we get thrown straight into the middle of the storyline. And, of course, we're set up and uh, let me say, first of all, I thought, <clears throat> did I miss the credits? Because I'm watching this, <clears throat> and after seeing this sort of Matrix type of uh, things, I just about managed to make out the Doctor, and I think I saw something else. Clara might have done. But uh, I was quite surprised when we got to about the three, four-minute mark, and there weren't any of the formal episodes. As I welcome into our room, Guest 8. Guest 8 will allow text chat a little bit later if you stick about um, but uh, we're just talking with spoilers, since you've just joined us, about Dot 2 Sleep No More. And I say that for those people listening to the recording later, perhaps you've subscribed to us on iTunes. We do do this live. You can come in, you can have your little say, and you can also, if you don't want to come on audio, uh, you can uh, put comments in text chat, and we'll try and get to read them out during the course of the recording. You can even um, have your big say. You can even have your big say, indeed. Yep, yep. And and uh, we even let the grunts talk, Ian, don't we? Yes. Yes, there you go. So, um, yeah, 
I must admit, it, it was passing over me. I, I found that I wasn't particularly interested in these people. I wasn't particularly concerned with their uh, jeopardy. Um, although I did think when I first saw them that they, these creatures were were quite good, but they reminded me somewhat of them, uh, the um, the story where we went into the TARDIS, where we had those sort of um, what turned out to be, and I don't think this is a spoiler now, so we welcome Time Lord 2525 into the room. Welcome. We're doing a spoiler review of Sleep No More. Uh, the Into the TARDIS one, where we had these sort of uh, pyrovile type uh, uh, creatures rolling around. We didn't know where they had come from at the beginning of the story. Uh, and these uh, what turned out to be uh, Sandman creatures. Uh, I don't know whether Neil Gaiman has... Uh, given his permission for the use of that name, or whether indeed the rights to the name Sandman predate um, his uh, comic book. Petey, and you can't uh, copyright a, uh, uh, a name like that, really. Ah, thank you. And I wondered why that was why they'd been very careful to call them Sandmen and not Sandman. Uh, but there were multiple versions of them. But yes, um, I did feel as though we're getting a, a reuse of some of the sets there, which is... Uh, it looked very similar to me to the uh, under the uh, lake under the lake ones, it um, and uh, a little bit of that was used in the uh, the Viking story. But I'm talking excitedly and quickly only because I want to talk twice because I actually didn't nod off, but I was not far from nodding off. I, I didn't feel as though it worked. Um, on a one-off watch, um, to the point whereby, which when we came to the the final segment where we have uh, the man speaking to the camera again and revealing in actual fact that while we think we've been watching these um, frightening and uh, violent and uh, slightly horrific scenes, in actual fact, that wasn't why he wanted your attention, but it was your attention so that this electronic message could be sent to you um, a little bit like a classic horror story where you uh, you see the little girl talking through the TV. Now, um, I've also read that um, Mark Gatiss, who wrote this, um, someone has said on the Facebook page that this episode had, had three years in gestation. Uh, and maybe this should have been aired, perhaps. Uh, I was wrong to say when uh, I said about the Zygon episode being seemingly picked to be the one that went out over Halloween. Maybe um, Stephen Moffat uh, was telling the truth when he says he doesn't have control over the dates of uh, transmission because perhaps this one would have been a much more suitable one for Halloween and may have worked. There was certainly a rather scary scene right at the end when we see uh, our narrator uh, disintegrating before our faces. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to play the second clip uh, and then I'm going to come back and talk a little bit more about it on how I saw it on a subsequent viewing. 24 hours ago, this station fell silent. No comm signal, nothing. Dead. We've come to find out why. Serious? Could be anything. Meteorite strike, space pirates. Ah, see? It's not just pirates, space pirates. So what, you are a rescue mission? Yes. A four? Caught a pet. Right, you ought to consider yourself... Part of the furniture. Under my command. 
Really? Yes, really. Come on. I still don't know where we are. Indo-Japanese. 38th century. Tuesday. 38th century? Mm. After the great catastrophe, there was a tectonic realignment. India and Japan, they are sort of merged. We still don't know where the rest of the crew are, though. I mean, a place this size. Hey, what? Great catastrophe? What great catastrophe? Well, you've got all that to look forward to, haven't you? And you and uh, when I watched it, this uh, well, I did all a uh, bit of the audio, and then before today's show, welcome guest nine. We'll allow text chat a little bit later. We're giving spoiler review of Sleep No More. Um, just that very scene there, we we get the uh, that was an Oliver reference, by the way, uh, just part of the furniture from the song from Oliver. But um, we get the Doctor there putting his finger in the air, deciding what century is in by, you know. Uh, a lick of his finger, and uh, so that was a. I think that was a little bit of a, a combination of how the tenth and the eleventh uh, doctor did it. Uh, we've had them licking things, and uh, we've had them, uh, you know, smelling the air or putting a finger up in the air. So there was that. There's an awful lot of little nice nods that I picked up in the audio. We get a reference to patient zero. We get a reference to the long game. Um, we get. Um, Quite a few little uh, nice features coming in. Um, but again, we also have this thing that I was mentioning before, Ian, about Clara keeps getting incarcerated. Uh, we've had her in various things. We've had her inside a Dalek. Uh, we've had her inside a number of other uh, things, but uh, in a pod, of course, the Zygon pod. And now in this one, we get uh, into dragged into this sleeping capsule and um, I must say Ian if, uh, I hope it doesn't spoil the ratings but um, if our um, our friend Mike Randall 4 was watching that scene I've got a feeling that there's some of these cartoons that he likes that to do with uh, uh, that sort of uh, scenario of young ladies tied up with tubes in uh, <laughs> things I, I'm not really sure about it all myself but I believe it's a, a genre of uh, uh, Certain types of uh, manga ca- magazines or something. Anime. <laughs> Anime is it right? Right. So I think there might have been a few people that got a reference to that. Not that I surely did. I don't think. Um, but I, I found that I was much more engrossed second time. Uh, I, again, as though I don't like the Blair Witch idea, and I, I found I was getting slightly dizzy watching it. Uh, but there was a, a certain type of logic. The, the way the um, the, the the viewpoint that he was seeing changed, and then suddenly we we got this where the doctor wasn't breaking the fourth wall, but he was looking directly at the camera. But of course, this was after Clara had been in this sleep chamber, and uh, the doctor at those particular points, as we see from cutaways, is actually talking uh, directly to Clara. So we're seeing it through Clara's eyes, and we see that sort of um, uh, view that he projects onto the wall. Where you see multiple image of the of the doctor and the image and the image and doctor and so on uh, going into the infinity, uh, so so clearly demonstrating that that's where the the image was going. 
Uh, but for a lot of the time, the Doctor didn't seem to be knowing what was going on. And I think it was just the viewer didn't really know. So I've got a feeling that this is a as a welcome symbiose into the room. Uh, I'm talking symbiose. I didn't particularly enjoy this on first viewing. I found it was a little bit too confusing and I didn't feel uh, engaged with the people and their fates. But there was quite a lot in here. Uh, again, I feel as though this episode is is all leading up to what eventually is going to happen to Clara uh, and um, ha how she's going to be exiting the series. Uh, but for a number of reasons, I have moved my rating up from a, probably a, less than a two uh, to maybe three and a half. And I've got a feeling maybe by the time we do the commentary, it will have gone up again. I do urge those people that dismiss this as... Um, a failed experiment, which is basically what I did marked it out, uh, to give it another try, because I think there's actually quite a little bit in there. So what I'll do, um, Ian, is um, I'll, um, I'll play a third clip, and um, do you want to go next, or should we go to Rick? Go to Rick next. Okay, so here's the third clip. We live in a time of unparalleled prosperity, a golden age of peace, harmony, and industry. But every shift must come to an end. Every working day must stop. Of course we can take stimulants to make that deadline. To keep us propped up through that important meeting. But always, always, sleep claims us in the end. Until now. Sleep deprivation pot. Not exactly. Welcome, Morpheus. The Morpheus machine concentrates the whole nocturnal experience into one five-minute burst. Now you can go a whole month without sleep. A month, all the chemical benefits of rest, but freeing up the nights to continue working, working, working. To get the edge on your competitor. To turn that extra profit. That's insane. That's horrible. Find someone who sees it for what it is. Leave the Rip Van Winkles behind and become one of a new generation of wide awakes. The future is here. The future is now. Let yourself slip into the arms of Morpheus. But sleep is... Sleep is vital. Sleep is wonderful. Even I sleep. When? Well, when you're not looking. The truth is there, like that, but about him not... Uh, he's sleeping when they're not looking in. And that uh, when the message ends, he's just about to say it, and then they put the little commercial at the end of it. Okay, Rick, please. All right. Um... I disagree. I think it was a failed experiment. Um, but then again, I'm kind of prejudiced. I don't care for um, uh, a realistic uh, sci-fi, fantasy, whatever you want to call it. Uh, to me, it's got to be bigger than life. And the Doctor, to me, has always been, and most likely, hopefully after... Uh, Moffat um, um, gets to be bigger than life uh, again. Um, you know, like, like I said, uh, Capaldi said it himself. He couldn't, they, you know, you couldn't walk like ten feet ahead of the uh, um, other actors because you'd be out of camera shot then. Um, you know, I'm getting technical, but, uh, um, you know, I, I, 
I have trouble with um, uh, nonlinear stories anyway sometimes, uh, and uh, um, you know that that's another thing. This is coming off as a nonlinear story uh, where you come in either at the end or the middle, and you know you, you're told this is what happened before and this is what's going to happen after uh, what you're seeing. Um, but uh, it was all right, I guess. Uh, like you said, there was um, 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 some continuity stuff in it. Uh, but uh, and I agree with the not caring about the uh, the rescue party people. Uh, you know, if you're going to make uh, the uh, guest stars or even the minor people, uh, you know, make you care about them, you got to care about them. You got to know a little bit about it, not like, oh, here's so and so, there goes so and so. If that makes any sense. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. and uh, uh, to be honest with you, no, I really didn't see any anime um, uh, uh, connection, even with the pod thing. Um, I, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, maybe it was, but uh, I thought um, Mummy on a Train was more anime-ish than that was. Uh, but you do have a point. There are uh, anime with a lot of uh, uh, tentacled monsters uh, attacking uh, females. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I did like the effect of, of the... Uh, uh, the narrator, or whatever you want to call him, um, uh, disintegrating. I, I thought that was a great... Uh, I've, I've never seen anything uh, similar to that before. Um, you know, I thought that was a pretty good effect. But all in all, uh, like you said, uh, in uh, Cultum, it kind of left me cold. Um I just sat there and I go, that's it? You know, um, I'm thinking, and well, no, that might be a little too much. Well, all right, I'll throw it out as a theory. I'm thinking that uh, um, next week's episode is sort of a dreamish episode since the, the monsters and, and whatnot are involved in dreams. Uh, who knows? Uh, but we'll see. Okay, uh, thank you for that. Uh, I was just really like, that. Ian was just telling, letting me know that Darth wasn't in text chat. Uh, Darth, Ian would like to uh, go a little bit later if you would, but um, what I'm going to do is play another clip and Darth will read out, if he would, Tom Baker's old scarf's contribution because he, he may have to drop off shortly. So I'll play a clip. Ian, if you could read out that little blurb and then we'll go to after that, if that's okay. Yep. What now? We can't stay in here. We're going to freeze to death. We can't go back up there because the sandmen will get us. Sandmen? Yeah, it's a good name. See, it's like the song. No. No, 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 no. You don't get to name things. I'm the doctor. I do the naming. All right. Sorry. 
like the Silurians all over again. Okay, well, what would you prefer then, the Duffmen? Sam, what did you just say? When? One point eight three minutes ago. I said we don't have helmet cans. <laughs> frozen to death so the doctor had to let the creatures in that was his theory okay ian great um tom baker's old scar says i thought this was easily the weakest episode not only of the series but for many series it was poorly executed no empathy for any of the characters and mark gatiss was trying to be far too clever with the writing and it simply didn't transfer well to the big screen in my opinion monsters were kind of fine and gave a fear factor but i don't know if i i've <clears throat> sorry tongue escaped me uh, but i don't know i was never once hooked on this episode from beginning to end i was adding zero out of five i'm afraid and symbiosis has joined us as well and has, has said the following uh, i agree with the com um with rick's comment of it being a failed experiment it's actually what i thought about the camera work uh, also, uh, what killed the monsters for me uh, was actually what they were. It sounded ridiculous. There's the text chat. Okay, well, let me play another clip then, and then we'll go to Darth. Okay. Hello again. The thing is, you see, this message, this testament, it wasn't just my alibi. It was my plan. There are no spores, no infection. The Morpheus process remains the same. An electronic signal that affects the sleep centers of the brain changes them. An electronic signal that's contained in this recording. There it is. It tickles, doesn't it? I've just got time to, to fit this bit in and then I can finish the story and then I'm going to transmit this footage to the whole solar system. I do hope you've enjoyed the show. I did try to make it exciting. All those scary bits, all those death-defying scrapes, monsters, and a proper climax with a really big one at the end. Compulsive viewing. I did tell you not to watch. You will show this film to your family, won't you? And your friends. And everyone, really. You've got something. Yeah. Spoiled it a little bit when he went into Marvin's voice for a little bit of that, but uh, there you go. Um, Darth, please. Um, I think, like uh, you, I was pretty confused, I suppose, upon the first viewing. Um, but I don't know how much I chalk this up to the episode itself. I think I, I just may not have been in quite the right frame of mind. Uh, to watch it. Uh, the problem is, I suppose, that on the second watch, I, I just found a lot of problems, a lot of logical issues in, in the episode, so it's hard for me to rate it as a particularly clever episode. I think it's one that is sort of deeply flawed. For instance, you know, if we're to believe that the dust particles in the air are the ones that are creating the found footage, that is, they are basically floating cameras, then 
why isn't the imagery floating? You know, why is there not a whole lot more um, movement in the camera? Uh, there should be, right? I mean, yeah, it's make it uh, making me dizzy as it was. I think. Uh, yeah, but it, but it, there's not even even you know, I can accept a metaphorical use of cameras here in the sense of, you know, if occasionally it moved laterally, but basically didn't, then I could say, okay, I guess they're sort of floating at a slower rate than I might have imagined them to be, although dust would actually be moving quite fast. If you're talking about using dust as a camera, the resulting footage would have to be very fast because dust is small and whatever. And where is it getting the light from, too? There's always Emerge, that, you know. Oh, right. The whole the whole concept of, of that is just sort of flawed in the execution, to be sure. But it might even be flawed in the, you know, the concept. It's just it's a, a little bit weird. And the reason that it's a little bit weird is I refuse to believe there are no video cameras on the space station in the future. I mean, that's just ridiculous, right? I mean, even today. You know, we've got cops running around with cameras so that they – cameras that are on their person so, to protect them legally, more or less. Um, I just don't accept that, you know, humans would evolve to such a point that they say, okay, we're going to throw that away. I think it's only become more and more increased in its usage, right, and more prevalent so that it's just, you know, de rigueur. Um, so the fact that they don't have cameras on their person, the fact that the station doesn't have cameras, all right, you know, the station thing – if you think about it a little bit, you could say that the Shearsmith character went around and took them all out. But you would think that the rescue party would say, where are the cameras? You know, just... It's, it's, it's got to be at least one camera because the, the scientist uh, slash monster is talking into one somewhere. I I guess, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's just weird that they... It doesn't make any sense that in the future we would have gotten rid of cameras. Dumb. Um, another thing that I just find somewhat baffling is movement of the tectonic plates so that Japan is next to India? That's a heck of a movement of the tectonic plate. I mean, I can see Japan is on China. I can see that. But there just aren't enough years between now and the 37th century, for there to be movement of over 2,000 miles? That's yeah, ridiculous. That's frankly ridiculous. Um, you know, even great catastrophe. That's not a great catastrophe. That is an earth-destroying event for that kind of movement to occur. Um, although I will say one thing that pleased me was the graphic design. I don't know if you noticed it, but the characters were a fusion of apparently Hindi and Japanese kanji script. It's kind of cool. I like the graphic design of that, but, I mean, come on. Japan next to India is ridiculous. Um, the, you know, some of the things that I sort of liked, there were some dialogue moments, like when you just played, this, you know, it's like the Silurians all over again because a companion decided to name the, the preacher or whatever. Um, I would have, I don't know, Silurian is a little bit of a, a murky one in terms of Doctor Who history. I would have preferred something like Ice Warriors would have been better, really, because Ice Warriors, well, technically I guess they're not named by Victoria, but Victoria is sort of 
the first one in the group that uses that term, I suppose. Or even, um, well, see, you can't really, I guess you can't make a reference back to Galaxy 4, but Galaxy 4, you know, it's Vicky all the way there, you know, naming the Chumleys, uh, you know. It would have been fun for Peter Capaldi to have said it's like the Chumleys all over again, frankly. I think that's a better line, really. But whatever. Um, it's a little funnier. Uh, it's a little funnier, yeah, because the name is funnier. And that, and that's the whole point, you know, because it's Vicky naming it. It's not the Doctor. Um, and I, I think, you know, the thing that maybe was more successful in terms of a reference back to Doctor Who, uh, Doctor Who history, again, this episode, just like almost all of them this season, are, you know, full of those kind of things. Uh, the dialogue about putting space in front of another noun and how that's not done and then, you know, they hit upon space pirates because this is sort of the same area that the space pirates were in um, in terms of their time because space pirates isn't terribly well defined, but we assume it's sort of in this, you know, around the 40th century mark. Um, that was kind of funny, and yet at the same time, I think a little bit unfortunate. In fact, I think the episode is peppered with a lot of unfortunate lines that can easily be turned on the episode. Um, you know, Space Pirates is not a well-regarded thing, but it's, it is seen as a, a fairly experimental episode of Doctor Who in that the Doctor doesn't even appear until, what is it, the 20-minute mark of episode one or something like that? About that, um, yeah. And, and it makes it sort of a, um, you know, unusual structure in the same sense that this is an unusual structure. And one imagines that, well, Mark Davis, of course, he's making an explicit reference to the space pirates. Um, and that's unfortunate, because it immediately, you know, you're tying yourself to a, an unsuccessful serial. You know, that's bad. In the same way was, you know, I warned you, don't watch this. <laughs> I mean, I know that already that people are just picking up on that left, right, and center and saying, hey, the episode told me not to watch it. And believe me, it's right. Don't do it. You know? <laughs> um, just so unfortunate the, how how easy it is to take the script and use it against itself. Um, the, another thing is, you know, the fact that it's all about sentiment. You know, people I'm sure picking up on it and saying it put me to sleep. You know, because it does kind of, because as other people have mentioned, you're not terribly invested in any of the new characters that are here. Uh, you are sort of interested in what's happening to the Doctor, kind of. Um, and and yet, at the same time, the format is a rejected one. I don't know if you've seen the um, Doctor Extra that's associated with this. And I saw this going through without having to have Stephen Moffat sort of signpost it for me, but... Um, you know, he's, he says in that it's good to occasionally have an episode of Doctor Who in which the Doctor doesn't win. And and you can you can see that, you know, it, it has a very um, unearthly child vibe about it, you know, because he doesn't at all win in the very first serial. He, he just barely makes it back to the TARDIS alive. That's exactly what sort of happens here. He just gets to the point where he can get back into the TARDIS, and that is the victory of the episode. And that happened, you know, you could say it happens in, at least from Barbara's point of view, that's what happens in the Aztecs, right? I mean, she doesn't win what she's trying to do. Um, there are uh, other, uh, Q 
Marquise Ramirez, perhaps, uh, you know, some parts of that are resolved. But uh, ultimately, the mission was to bring the keys back and to try to find the daughter of this, uh, of, uh, what's his name, Arbitan or whoever the original, George Caloris character is in that. Um, and they don't find the daughter, and they don't, you know, uh, he, Arbitan dies. He's killed by Yartek, you know. And although Yartek is apparently defeated, hmm, not really. You know, we don't really know for sure, and there's no guarantee that in that the, what are these people called? The, I forget who they are in Marinus, whatever these, those creatures were in Marinus. There's no guarantee that they are wiped off the face of that planet, off of Marinus, you know. They could well be um, still around. The Daleks, you know, the first Daleks story. Um, I don't think you could suggest that that's a victory. And as we later find out, you know, in the which one, which one is that? In the Pertwee episode. Um, oh, what's the direct sequel to that? Planet of the Daleks. Is that the one. Um, the one where Joe and him go back, and they're invisible Daleks in it. Uh, and they meet up again with the, the Thals, and at that point the Thals are really quite, you know... That's it, the Daleks, um, is it? No. Uh, it might be... Is it just I don't know. No, it's Planet. It's Planet of the Daleks. It is. Okay. Um, and the Thals are on their back foot, then, you know, and they... That's really a direct sequel to the Daleks, and you find out there, you know, they didn't really heed Ian and uh, the Doctor's advice terribly well, and they didn't come to any great success. And so everything, you thought that they got out, but they really didn't. Um, and I, I don't think there's any reason that you expect at the end of, you know, episode seven of the Daleks that they are really gone. Um, so, you know, and, and even more recently, like Victory of the Daleks, that ends on a very clear failure for the Doctor. Very clear. He says, I have lost, I have failed. Um, so, you know, there's a sense in which there... Uh, Moffat is right when when he says it is not necessary to the format of Doctor Who that the Doctor win. The problem here is you don't really know clearly if he won or if he didn't. I mean, there's a lot of stupid stuff that's going on here at the end, right? Um, we don't know that the transmission of this thing happened. I mean, we know that the Doctor is wrong. Although he sp starts to suspect at the end where he says... None of this makes any sense. That's another one of those lines that you could just use against the episode, right? Um, but he, you know, at the end, the doctor's like, I, I, you know, I can't quite put together these things. They don't make any sense. Well, Clara and, picks up on it as well. She, she says, well, you said it was a coded message, not you're physically going to take this thing down. And he says, well, it's evolving all the time. But you're right. The point is, he's recorded the message. He's transmitted the message. Ah, is, do we know that he's transmitted the message? Yeah, I think so. The thing is, it's not until somebody views the message that the infection starts. So, right, but see, the way it, that it, the visual language that is used at the very end of the episode is what it is of the entire screen condensing down to a single point of light, as if the thing has been shut down. Ah, right. that's how that's how I interpret it. Is the transmission has been stopped in some way? Right. Because that's, I mean, in every other television show, when we see that, that's what that means, right? Um, usually, yes. Usually. So, you know, did the doctor actually lose? If it wasn't transmitted, or if it was cut off in transmission, or whatever, maybe he didn't lose. And the other thing is, uh, you know, he's, the Shearsmith character says, 
at the end, hey, you know, I told you not to watch this thing. Uh, here's this little bit. And he points to the screen. He's like, here's this little bit. Watch for it. Oh, yeah, that just means you've been infected. You know? Uh, so one would imagine that the first people who, if it did get transmitted, and I'm not even admitting that it did, but if it did get transmitted, the first people who saw that would say, wait a minute, this guy just warned us that this transmission is going to do something bad to our entire solar system. Let us try to suppress this video. You know? It's it's the dumbest thing. If it's it's like a it's like a, a Bond villain, you know, telling you <laughs> what exactly he's gonna to do to you and then walking away and seeing if you can get out of the trap. Really? I mean it's so dumb. Um so I I I don't even know that the doctor even though this is what apparently Stephen Moffat liked about the script and maybe Gaitis did too. I don't feel as though the doctor lost. I feel as though the enemy himself kind well, Clara's of infected, fum- so fumbled the ball. Clara's infected. Uh, maybe. That's, that's maybe uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, but the other, you know, uh, maybe, you know, infected, who knows what the hell that means at this point. I, I don't think that's very clear. Um, the other thing that's like just sort of brewing around this episode is What in the world is going on with uh, the conceit of it? I mean, just the basic conceit of it. Um, it, it is the Weeping Angels, isn't it? Surely it's just oh, yeah. a, col- a collateral branch or an inversion or whatever. I mean, it's exactly the whole thing with you know, the sand coming out of the eye, you might say that that's clever, and at the very end of the episode where you see, you know, the Shearsmith character rub his I eye know. and then his, fa- his face starts to, yeah, exactly. It, it's not only been seen before in Doctor Who, it's been seen before relatively recently within this producership. So, um... Do, do you think the way that they were going about uh, praise be to the gods or whatever they said every time they said the sentence, did you think it was these this... Um, Religious police that that we had in the uh, the angel ones as well, you know the ch- the chaplains and that, you know the oh, no. the the, the no, well, no. They, they, well why why would they have a religious statement every time they they spoke to each other? They didn't have it every time they spoke to each other. It was a form of ritual greeting. Right, right. I, I wonder whether yeah. they were from the uh, same. Uh, but it's definitely not. Oh, absolutely not, because that branch is monotheistic. I mean, and basically Judeo-Christian. Right. This this is ta- this is coming from the collision of Japan and and uh, India, yeah. where multiple gods. Yeah, you know. Right. Okay. Uh, that's what it is, basically. So, you know, I th- I thought it was an interesting bit of world building, um, just something to sort of hang your hat on. But I didn't think it was particularly evocative of anything else in Doctor Who necessarily. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just I just think. The whole thing is not original, you know. I think Rick mentioned the fact that they are relatively similar to the uh, in design to the creatures from Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. That's me. That's yeah. true. That was Dave. Oh, that was you. Uh, I'm sorry. That's a that's a keen enough observation. I, I also think that they are not too far off the mummy look. I mean, it's basically it's not like it's a it's not 
it's not a look, really. It's just the deformation of the human character to a certain point. You know, it's just like looking at a human from a distance in the desert when the heat is shimmering over that uh, figure so that you can't make out any details. That's all it is. I mean, it's not really, it's not a design per se. I mean, even though you might have a design department on it, um, but it's not, you know, this is not somebody sitting down and reading, you know, the script of the Daleks and having to there then translate that script into a character which is in no way sketched out in the script or anything, you know. I mean, this is not Raymond Cusick level of designing. This is just, oh, hey, uh, let's just deform the human form just a little bit, and there you go. And it's like, uh, okay, it's whatever. It's kind of, it's effective enough. You understand why it's like that. Um, It doesn't really make any sense if it were anything other than basically humanoid in shape. But I don't think it's that innovative, really. Um, nor and and that's what stops it, I think, from being a particularly scary design or a scary monster or anything like that. Um, it just is what it is. the The one thing that I kind of liked about it, uh, and this is even apparent and maybe enhanced on a second watch, is that it's a commentary upon commercialism, right? Um, that the only way in which this insidious thing is injected into a, a society is because there is a driving need to um, stay awake so that you can work uh, more. Win out, win out against your competitors, right? Um, it, it is, ca- it is the criminality of capitalism, really, uh, and. That's cool. And the captain you know. is all hepped up on that. Well, sure. Yeah. Um, Some of the others uh, weren't, but I mean, she was just total sold. Welcome, by the way, Ken. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, initially, but I think the the great thing about that character is, well, I don't know if it's that great, because the transition is pretty... Um, well, no, she. I mean, she's able to adjust and... and very quickly and say, well, okay, yeah, this is a bad thing. We now need to, I see that it was wrong. We need to fight against it or whatever. Um, but, I mean, it, it's a neat little bit in the middle of the episode about how, uh, you know, commercialism, capitalism can be a bad sort of thing and it can rob you of your your basic instincts. And I thought the, tying things into the, Barry Shakespeare's plays was very clever. I liked that. I really did like that there was, um, you know, some statement in there for how sleep is actually important. Because I think that's a, a lesson, you know, I myself am guilty of not really following. You know, there are definitely times where, you know, I should be getting more sleep or we all should be getting more sleep than we actually are. Um, and in that sense, um, I think that the episode very peculiarly is at once innovative and, and yet hues to the basic original principles of Doctor Who in that it has a fundamentally didactic message at the core of it. Um, that is important. That's important to put into the heads of kids. That's important to put in the heads of you know the entire family that's watching it. you got to sleep. And it has an actual positive effect upon your performance as a human being. And if you try any shortcuts whether they be stimulants to stay up, as the episode 
you know, literally talks about, or whether it be, you know, some other removal of uh, changing the chemical formulation of the body, you're going to run into trouble. So sleep, you know, uh, I, I, I dug that. I really did dig that a lot. I also like the fact that, you know, the way that the narration happened uh, in a sort of video game style, where, you know, at the very beginning, where the Shearsmith character is saying, you know, here's this person, and then he gives you a little background on that person, and you get that f- the graphical frame that comes up and, you know, freeze frames on their face and, you know, fills things out in a sort of, you know, <laughs> video game. I, I dug that as a, you know, because Doctor Who happens on television. If this had happened in a movie theater, in a Doctor Who film, I would not have liked that. Um, but since it happens on the same screen where I play my Xbox, um, I'm perfectly happy to accept that as a new way of telling a story. Um, and, you know, it kind of quickly got you up to speed with who these characters are. Um, and I, I don't really accept, by the way, that there's a complete dearth of information about the characters. Um the scene with oh god now I've forgotten his name and that's terrible because that's the point I'm trying to make is Chopra it's got to be Chopra um, Chopra I think is fairly well defined actually I think he's defined as somebody who's a rebel against the Morpheus thing and he's somebody who starts out as sort of you know being a, a sort of hater of this clone army and if you think that there was one second of time where I didn't think of Star Wars Clone Army, uh, when they were talking about the grunts, you're crazy, because, of course, that's where it comes from, and I think it's absolutely intentional that it comes in 2015, where everybody is thinking Star Wars, right? Um, So, you know, he starts out as being dismissive of uh, the grunt, and then the grunt sort of saves his life, and he's more, he, he wants to save the grunt's life, you know, at the end. I think that there's something there. I think that there's enough there that's... Uh, I think he's better defined than the captain is. Um, and, I, you know, I thought that, while it may not be character definition, I thought that the use of the... Um, oh, gosh, I can't believe I don't remember this character's name because it annoys the... Deep, deep never living day. There you go. Uh, you know, because it's like every five seconds in the first half of this thing, where is Divando? Where is Divando? You know, all this. And then when you finally get to see where that character is, you get the very, I I loved, and I thought the scariest part of the entire episode was sing the song. Oh my God. I just was, at, I was, at, that is the only point in the episode where I will say I was actually kind of terrified because it was creepy. It was supposed to be funny. I think that humor inverted into a scary situation is scary. It's fundamentally really scary. And um, I just, I I love that part. And although, you know, we don't know anything that motivates this character other than he's supposed to be the funny one. um, I I did think that that was an effective bit of terror that was going on. Um, One thing I haven't had time to investigate further, but interested me, especially on the second watch, was the degree to which black and white photography was used. You know, I'm sure, I'm 
fairly sure that this is the most extensive use of black and white photography since, you know, the war games. It has to be. Um, but I couldn't quite figure out the visual metaphor of what was going on there. Um, I think it's meant to designate a specific viewpoint, but I don't know yet what that viewpoint is. It's not, is it, is it the viewpoint of the the Shearsmith character when that character is not assembling the footage into the final product? I I don't know. But there is, I think there is some kind of regularity as to why there's black and white photography and then how come you switch away from that into sort of muted color and then some, and then you switch away from that. Maybe that's how the Sandman visualizes. Well, the, the full-on color was definitely when we're looking through Clara's eyes, when the doctor's looking directly at Clara, but looks as though he's looking at us. Those are the only ones that seem to be in full human color. Hmm. I think there's something to that, and and that's interesting. If if true, and it's not just some little, you know, gimmick, for lack of a better word, um, or some random expression of you know uh, different cinematography, uh, then I think it may be one of the few cases in Doctor Who history where the cinematography actually is a part of the storytelling. Um, and, I, and that's I mean. We know that we know that it is anyway, just because of you know the strictures of having to f- tell the story from the perspective of found footage. Um, but anyway, that that would be something. You know, if you can stand to watch the episode again, and that may be a big if um, for some people <laughs> at least, uh, then that might be an interesting thing to note down. You know, what exactly when does it go to black and white? Um, and I think what's interesting about this this story. Is and I, I don't think this is a recommendation. I don't think it's necessarily an attraction, but it's definitely not you know uh, anything other than a flat statement that this is maybe the episode that has been most designed for multiple viewing. I mean, yes, that's where I was going. Hello, we lose audio then. I think we lost it. Huh? Ian? The yes. just dropped off there. Darth? Uh, well, I think Darth went to sleep. Right. Um, look, uh, let me welcome Ken officially into the room. Hi, Ken. Hi. Um, would, would you be good enough to go and concede the room if Darth gets back in so he can finish off his points? Okay. Uh, I, I've, I've played through most of the clips because we didn't. We were going to uh, viewpoints fairly quick. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll not do that. Let me read a few. Uh, let me read some of the uh, the comments made from the Cultman page. I'll do that, Ian. And okay. um, if Darth's not in by the time I'm getting to the end of that, uh, if Ken could be available, or if Ken wants to to cogitate a little bit more. Uh, Ian is yet to go, so let me just. I'm I'm just, fine whichever way, but I uh, always okay. be gracious to my good Ian. <laughs> okay, let me again from this is from our Facebook page. Um, uh, Perry has put. Uh, I hated the monsters until the explanation at the end. Overall, I liked it a lot. Mark Goodacre, uh, 
terrible, terrible, terrible. Wow, that was boring. <laughs> Without doubt, the most boring episode of Doctor Who since 2005. And I nearly went into a Blackadder as boring as boring as a boring... <laughs> I, can't think of, I can't think of one, but you know what I mean. Uh, Mark Goodacre, outside the specifics of the episode, BBC America did not show the opening credits. What the heck was going on there? We should, I missed, the screen was all letters and numbers. That was the credits, says Barry. It was supposed to be like pieces of CCTV. I think the words got too could be seen. Uh, thanks, says Mark Goodacre. Um, then let's go further down, because they're, they're sort of threaded, these little conversations. Um, and I originally put, well, it was late when I first watched it, but it left me mostly cold, sensing there could be a payoff later. Because we don't know, we think this is all tied into Clara leaving, and we do know that Clara's now got something in her eye. Um, but Mark, again, I must admit, it, I found it unbelievably boring. I'm looking forward to the uh, the discussion. Uh, David Galler, Moffat's already asked Gatiss for a sequel. Not a spoiler, as it was announced days ago in uh, Doctor Who magazine. Um, Mark, I wish we'd just forget this one. So boring. Kyle Jones, I didn't care for it either. I felt as if I asked, what's the point after watching? Uh, Todd uh, put, um, okay, so Mark Gatiss did this one. That explains the whole human... You changed the whole... Man- Human nature abomination thing, basically a reboot of what series three Martha's episode where he turned himself into a giant spider thing. I think he's talking about um, uh, the one where he, he changed in age, didn't he, to a younger self. Um, and he has an awful lot written there. Thank you, Todd. But I don't think I can read uh, uh, your uh, full praise there. But um, let me see if I can read a little bit of it. I basically felt meh about the whole thing. Maybe they're building towards something in the future, like Morpheus is still in Clara's head, which I think that is the case. Or maybe these Sam men will turn into Danny Pink for her. And that's how we get awesome from the future. Gosh, that's convoluted. Uh, Jeff, um, you have to give them credit for trying something different. And I think that's important. You have to give them credit for some, trying something different but it certainly didn't work for me. I felt nothing for any of the characters. I didn't know what was going on, and worse still, about fell asleep. Agreed, said Mark. Credit for trying something different, but a failure. I didn't know what was going on, and worse, I didn't care to try and work it out. And Dean, a very ordinary episode, very derivative. Uh, We've been here before, already done that. The characters mean little, are not cared about. The new series, with its large budget, and modern technical effects so often falls below the quality of the classic series. And Todd comes, uh, the only thing I can think now is Clara is at risk of turning into one of these sand people because she was in the Morpheus machine. Uh, Craig, um, uh, it really took Gates three years to write the story. Let's hope his next one takes ten. Zero out of five. Uh, Jim and Kathleen, who quite often join us here in the hall, um, I did fall asleep. Uh, to be fair, uh, it was on at 9pm and I had been fighting sleep since 7.30. However, when I heard that they were evolved eye bogies, I gave up and fell asleep until I heard the end credits. <laughs> Glad to hear I didn't miss much. One out of five. Two bad. Two. 
uh, Colin Hicks, uh, I think it was a case of you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. When they try something new, which may not work, fans complain, how dare they do this and waste a story? If they don't try something new, it's the same old, same old. Uh, and Jeff, Casey's uh, is overrated as a got two writer. In brackets, I'm going to add for him, in my opinion, um, uh, and in words, in Jeff's opinion. Uh, there have been a couple of episodes that have been really good. Cold War and The Unquiet Dead. Good one, The Crimson Horror. Several so-so episodes, The Idiot's Lantern, Victory of the Daleks, Night Terrors. And a couple of poor ones, Robert of Sher Sherlock and Sleep No More. I don't want him as the showrunner. Colin Hicks, I think this is the last one I've got to read out, Ian. I would swap Robot on Victory as Victory is rubbish. Uh, it's not a case of I don't want for me. It's a case of I can't see him as a showrunner. Uh, but that's another discussion they're going on about. So, Ian, uh, Ken has deferred to you. Do you want to go? Uh, do you want to let Ken have the floor with listening out for Darth uh, re-arriving? Darth, can you hear? No, we appear to have lost him. Hmm. Hopefully he's not still talking, because... <laughs> wondering why he's uninterrupted so far. Not talking in his sleep, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, in your chart, I'll call. Okay, I'll go. I'll go then. I don't have an awful lot to say, uh, and and what I don't say, I'll say on uh, on the Colton Collective commentary tonight, uh, if we record it tonight. Some, uh, our, our third is turned into a, a boogie monster in one of <laughs> Yes, that that about wraps up what I have to say about this eye boogie monster. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where you you're damned, and if you do, and you're damned if you don't, because you're you're counting on somebody like Mark Gatiss to to to, to pull a gem out of his pocket, and you know um, you have high expectations. Excuse the noise. <laughs> It's awfully fun for him to ride it, you know. The obviously. Hell's Angels, the Hell's Angels of a ride. Yes, yes. It's, it's, uh, it's a nice, it's a nice, cool, cool day here. We've got all the windows open. Uh, I apologise for that noise. He doesn't. I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he rather enjoys it. Um, but you know, we, we, you know, you go into this expecting a lot because it's Mark Gatiss. Oh, you know. Um, uh, and then you, you get something like this. Which is a letdown, and and practically everywhere I've looked, um, I've found the same results. Uh, you know, blogs or on our Facebook page, um, or reviews on things like IO9 or like uh, I've seen the same thing. You know, people are just not impressed. Um, and yeah, it, it's good to try new things, but sometimes I, I'm not sure. I'm I'm kind of I didn't mind the camera work and, and, and doing it for if it had have actually been from their um their helmet cameras that would have been fine. You know. Um the fact that it was the dust that was taking the pictures, yeah, I don't know. Because, um, you know, that kind of steady cam you need, you know. Uh <laughs> dust doesn't have really a you know a a good uh good video quality from what I hear. <laughs> but yeah, I, I actually fell asleep during my first watch and uh, had to 
and back it up and, and watch the last like 20, 30 minutes again. Uh, and then I watched it again before this this episode today, and it didn't get any better really. Uh, it left too many questions unanswered. Is um, you know, did the did the broadcast get out? Because the way I'm looking at it, the broadcast did because we're watching it. And that, to me, seemed like that was the whole point. As if we're watching we're watching what he sent out. And, and so the, the broadcast did get out because we're watching it. Uh, so what does that mean for humanity? We're all going to turn into boogie monsters. Hi, boogie monsters. Hi, boogie monsters. <laughs> yep. Uh... The other the other question is, is 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 Clara infected, you know, or is this one of these things that's just never going to get brought up again because you know, oh, as soon as they got into the TARDIS, the Doctor removed, you know, removed it from her her head. We don't know. Nothing was answered on that. The Doctor just took off in the TARDIS, and that was it. That's all that was written, and nothing will be mentioned next week, I'm sure. So yeah, it just it just leaves so much unanswered. Uh, and it, it just, I can see the idea, you know, it's like, well, what if, you know, like the doctor says, every morning when we wake up and we wipe this stuff out of our eyes that we're, we're you know, saving ourselves. It, it's kind of a neat little idea, but it just, it just didn't execute the way, um, the way it should have. I, I don't know what the answer was, or, but it wasn't this. wasn't good <laughs> even even the wife you know after she, she said that was a real meh kind of an episode um, and uh, yeah, I have to agree with everybody you, you don't you didn't get attached to any anybody in the crew um, compare this to, to um, under the lake and before the flood at least we got you know we, we got attached to some of the members of the crew there and so uh, that, that's well, the precisely, big you, you got more attached to that captain in the first three minutes of that. Yeah. <laughs> of that undergrad than than this. Yeah. It just there. He just didn't didn't care. Who cares? You know. You got more attached to the arrogant moron in uh, the one with the uh, the two dimensional. Yeah. Things than anybody really. Yeah, uh, we've 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 had more successful stories of, of you know with with groups of people you know. Um, I haven't really got an awful lot more to say other than that. It's, you know, we, we've heard it all already. It it just wasn't successful. Um, I was kind of part of me was kind of hoping that Darth would like it because then we'd have this opposite opinion and and somebody that you know. Could rally around it and, and give us this. Well, I think there know. is more in the second watching. I I got more out of it the second time. I think I think this might be a bit of a slow burner. I think this is one that if you were buying it on DVD or Blu-ray, you might go to <laughs> maybe scratch it in your head a few times, but you may go back to it a few more times. It's a question of like everybody said here, whether you would care enough to watch it again. If you would, right. then you might get more out of it. Maybe. I mean, on my second watch, I was uh, I understood a little more because I actually stayed awake for the whole thing. 
Um, but still, you know. Uh, After seeing it only twice, that's enough for me, honestly. And you stayed awake? Yeah, unfortunately. Oh, am I tipping my hat there? Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Oh, and we've got Darth coming back in the room, so whether his audio is back up as well, we don't know. Uh, are you nearly done, Ian? And then we'll that's, ask. That's, that's me done. Darth, uh, do we have your audio in place? As I put some text chat. Do you want to just read a couple of things out the text chat while I put some text chat in for Darth? Pointingly. Pointingly. Uh, let's see. Where did I leave off? Um, da, da, da. Oh, we lost Darth again. <laughs> uh, yeah. Boom. That's in the chat? Uh, Where? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All that. Um, uh, Symbiosa uh, puts in that um, Mark is made and it saddens me because I like that guy. Um, Cybob says uh, 3.5 out of 5 from me. Uh, it was so different an episode that it made it hard hard to follow it all. Uh, all of it, sorry. Uh, but it was an interesting take on a story. Uh, somebody else also says, um, I will give it 1 out of 5. Uh, it did everything wrong. Uh, such a... <laughs> Such a horrendous bogey monsters. Found camera footage uh, with obviously obvious two million pixel display HD BBC cameras. Yes, they're they're awfully tricky them them uh, eye boogies. And a boring story which was sleep worthy in itself. <laughs> yeah, that's everything in the texture. Okay, and we we'll, we may have some more ratings at the end. So um, it looks like. Darth's restarting his audio yet again, and I probably just know what point here. But, um, Ken, do you want to go now? And um... Alrighty. Okay. Um, greatest story ever. No, 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 not really. <laughs> um, okay. I, I, I go in these wanting to love every episode, and I, and I like Mark Gattis. I really do. And... I get what he's doing here. P- total point of view. Oh, this is a new, exciting thing in a format. No, no, this is this is cobbled together. I've seen this so many times. I mean, I I, I don't want to get on anybody's case, but this is this is aliens put in Blair Witch Project, which I hated. I could not stand, you know, and. You know, we've seen point of view. It could have been really neat. There could have been some way maybe to do it, to have it maybe that it's an officer's diary and it's one person to the camera instead of who maybe is doing it, but that that would change it. You know, and or or each of the soldiers they're they're like before they're picked off, they're saying, you know, letters to home or talking. Like the point of view of soldiers, you know, in midst of battle, you know, their thoughts, you know, as they're going, like, I don't know where Jenkins is right now. You know, dear God, I want to get out of here, please. You know, something like that, that would ramp up the tension, that would do something with it. It was really hard to keep my eyes open with it. um, It it just seemed really the, the pace. 
things I liked about it really had not much to do with the episode. I mean, yeah, okay, it had the gotcha moment at the end. Okay, that that's sort of cute. Did the doctor win or didn't he win? And, you know, it's debatable. Was it the, you know, everybody on Earth now, it's going to be open for another episode, or it, uh, or it just failed in its efforts, and that's it. That That's, that's open to it. But the things I liked are, you know, the doc, the doctor going there, and them saying, you know, consider yourself at home, and he goes, consider yourself part of the furniture. I start laughing. It's Oliver, you know, and it's a bit from Oliver there, so yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. trying to crack up with that. Um, he starts talking and saying, "Sleep that does the care." I'm not going to rattle off the lines, but he starts quoting something from Macbeth. And I go, I perk up immediately. And I go, oh, that's very cool. You know, I like that. And and then Mr. Sandman comes on. And you have a little hologram of them. I go, oh, that's really neat. I, I like that bit. That that That's nice. And then you have the clone soldier who feels more than the other people. Okay, Shades of Blade Runner put in. You know, there we got that in there. And... Then the doctor quotes some more of Macbeth. Oh, I like that. And and I'm thinking, well, you could quote Hamlet, too. Uh, you know, sleep no more than in sleep there is. And in that sleep of death, what dreams may come. You know, we could do that, too, while we're at it. Oh, good. Quote Shakespeare. That makes it kind of neat. And then it rattles off and some people die. And we have more point of view. And the end. And... Okay, <laughs> I'm going to quote Shakespeare again, but with sound and fury signifying nothing. It really didn't move me. It really didn't go anywhere. I, I like different things. Oh, and if you're going to fake credits and put them in amidst of the letters and digital, don't just say Clara Oswald. Have the cast names and say Doctor Who in there. Make it kind of really inventive. If you're going to do it, you know, have their actual names and say Doctor Who, and then people go, oh, okay, those were the credits. But all it said was, and I froze it, Clara Oswald, unless I'm wrong, and Doctor Who. Those aren't proper credits. But, um, you know, it's okay. It, it, I think it would have worked as a 10-page comic story, in all honesty. You know that that's about it. It 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 was it 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 seemed to be filler. I was not engaged with the people. And if you're going to have people bumped off, like like said before, the ghost story earlier was was and uh, and I wasn't totally thrilled with that. You know because it got a little murky, but it was far and away better than this. Uh, this was not involving with the people. The the only. They gave you, I mean, I have to say that from the minimalist bit he did, they did establish character types, you know, the, the really gung-ho captain, the the anti-establishment uh, uh, soldier. Stereotypes, the, actually. Well, yeah. The Well, there's some truth to stereotypes. So, I mean, if you're fleshed out, you don't care. It's how you get there. Yeah, yeah but you're right. Um, the The... The lovesick, I love you, uh, clone person, 
which I have I have to say, which you no, know, this is a Bravo thing. I didn't know this was a, a transgender actor, you know, in the part, you know, making a point for that. But it did. Bethany, Bethany un- Black. Bethany Black. Yeah, unnoticed if you don't really know the back history, but um, you know, kudos kudos for that. But if it's form over substance, the form didn't triumph. It wasn't something. Well, I'll use a film for an example, THX 1138, which has a form and a design and a technique, and it is brilliant, and I love that. And and it just mesmerized me when I saw it when it came out originally. But it has no plot. Uh, Yeah, it does, but that's for another time. Uh. You know, you could say it's named about 2001, but that doesn't make any difference. Uh, this, this, um, that, that is that's wonderful, you know. For and it succeeds beautifully. This does not, and it's not even that engaging. I, I wouldn't want really watch it again. It doesn't have that many riches in it. Um, two and a half TARDIS groans, and uh, next week looks killer already in comparison, you know, just from the trailer. Um, There is a little mystery there, I mean, a little foreshadowing again about Clara, you know, something in your eye, it's kind of reminiscent of something on your back, you know, um, so who who knows? I I did like one little little trait. The doctor saying, "Oh, I'm going to take you and fix you up and do that." Is like, is he lying? Is he is he is he scared out of the willies that he's not going to be able to help anybody, and he's just uh, doing the fake comfort, or can he take care of it? You know that that was that was a point, but um, you know. I, I read some Mark Gaddis at a, at a screening was so proud of this. It, it made me sad to read that because um, he, he really does really great Cracker Jack work. And this this was um, kind of like, okay. And that's about it. I, I think you can see there's an awful lot of work gone into it, but it's almost, but it's been overworked. And uh, the thing is, I think, Probably, if you get so familiar with this story as you're rereading it and redoing it, actually, you can understand it and it held together. But that doesn't mean its watchability was there, and I think that's where yeah, it, it wasn't, most of the people... It wasn't fun. It yeah. wasn't fun. Sometimes, like the technique stuff, you know, graphs, they have graphs and different things and stuff. I mean, I mean of course it didn't end fun, but Water of Mars... It's just like wow, the whole, the whole thing, and it just draws you in. And you know, I really cared about the people, and 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 the ending just just blows you away. Um, that and and of course, not every episode is going to be that. But this is like this this one was forgettable. I mean, and kind of a chore to watch. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, and I, I'm not sure the AI rating will be in the 80s as with all the previous ones. But um, thank you for that. Um, now, for those of you who obviously were, uh, we lost Darth on audio, but we think he's back. Darth, I know you're probably not that sure of where we lost you. Do you want to uh, take up any thread of what you've said already? I'll just mention a few more things uh, before we get wrap up. I think the tragedy is more than I didn't get to hear Ian or much of what Kinsey said, so I got nothing there. Um, oh, you could skip Ian's bit. I Yeah, I don't. I I have no idea really where. I mean, you told me in chat and it was something uh, you know about. Uh, it was after uh, the screen had gone to the dot, and then uh, and then it was right. although you were still talking. It, it, there was a to and froing with Ken and people. You weren't actually on another. You hadn't launched onto another particular whole diatribe on yeah. something, you know. So. Yeah, I, all I know, I only know is that I think I talked for another thirty minutes after that. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's a missing know. episode, uh, folks. Cult detective of a missing episode. Yeah. Totally missing. Um, I don't know. I mean. You know, from what I just heard from Ken, I would, I would have to agree that, you know, it, it is an episode that rewards you for rewatching it. There's no question about that. Mm, yeah. You can pick up on more. Um, the problem is, for me, that, like Ken said, it is a bit of a chore. It is a bit of a homework exercise. It is, um, you know... Like Macbeth, in a way, um, something that I personally don't find fun, but yet I will force myself to, you know, go through it in order to pick up on things that make you know uh, your knowledge of Shakespeare a little bit better. Um, this is that kind of episode to me. Something that yeah, you'll find some things that make some sense, but or make greater sense for you. But I think overall what what rewatching it does actually is just to expose the flawed nature of the plot that's underneath. Um and, and there's just so many things about it that don't make any sense. Oh, I think maybe one of the things that I had talked about in that part that you guys didn't hear apparently was the whole thing with Venus, right? The whole thing with the nature of the anti gravity shielding. Whatever the hell that's supposed to be, it seems to have indicated in the plot, or it seems to be indicated in the plot, that it is something which helps you maintain the orbit around Neptune, right? Um, but, I mean, surely we as people have known since at least the 1940s that you don't need any additional help in maintaining an orbit. That's all something which happens naturally. Thanks if you to pick the right laws. orbit. Right. Um you're you're fine, you're golden. That's where you're gonna stay forever and ever and ever on in, you know, basically. Um so what the hell was the point of turning off the anti gravity plating? Uh no, no, sorry, anti gravity shield, sorry, I mixed that up with Star Trek six. Um and 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 in truth it would have made more sense if it had been something like anti gravity shielding from Star Trek Six because he does it Right, he turns it off 
in order to get a clear run to the TARDIS, right? Or at least that's what seems to be going on there. But if the anti-gravity shielding is merely to keep you propped up in orbit, then how does that allow Clara and the captain and the doctor to make it to the TARDIS? That's really not explained. And I've like gone back and looked at that particular bit a few times. And what exactly that does to get them a straight shot to the TARDIS is incredibly unclear. It's like he does that thing, and then they're suddenly in the TARDIS, right? Uh, well, they do say he's missing scenes. The bloke apologizes. For instance, when... when oh, the, my God, but we can't well, go down that route. We cannot. Please, no, 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 missing no, scene. No, no. Well, I mean, yes, uh, I get it. Reference. It covers There's it. another reference, mm-hmm. right? When, when the doctor says, uh, you're all you know, history or whatever, you stupid humans. And she, she, the captain comes back and says, what do you mean? So you would expect there to have been a five-minute explanation of that the Doctor's not human, he's an alien. So to yeah, say yeah, that, yeah. they cut that bit out as well. So there were a couple of places where they oh, cut... Oh, no, 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 no. You're giving far too much credit. They didn't cut it out. It just didn't happen. Well, yeah, right. Especially, especially it's, it's, she's got two... She's got two opportunities. It's not just once that she does the that the doctor says something that indicates that he's not human right in front of her, and she says, "What do you mean?" You know, she says a little bit of a question of it, but doesn't pursue it to its natural conclusion. No, and and the thing cut. is, no, it's the not truth. been cut. Though. It's not been cut. It's not there. I mean, we cannot give blanket, um, you know, whatever blanket uh, amnesty. To this script, because one line says, <laughs> oh, the things that you want to see here are just not here because I wasn't able to assemble it. That's crap. I'm not going to take that. I mean, it, it, the only way that I'm going to accept that is if they start a scene, and they, they should have done this. I don't know why they didn't do this. They, you start a scene, and then you break off the scene mid-sentence and go to another scene, right? Yeah, they could have faded that, 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 that would have been a missing scene, yeah. Right, and that would have been kind of brilliant. They could have played that to great, you know, because they could have used that to amp up the horror, right? Stop right in the middle of the screen before you see what the hell's going on. You know, great. All right, that's cool. Yeah. But no, I do not. And, uh, well, yeah, I mean, but at least it's a, it is a potential device out there that could have amped up in the right hands the, the terror that's in the scene. Where they put it, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then they just didn't, you know, it's just, uh, we'll leave that out there. We'll say this line, but really give no indication that it's true in any way. Um, uh, but no, Dave, I'm not, I'm not accepting that things, logical questions that should have been pursued, but weren't are missing scenes. They are merely logical questions that should have been pursued and weren't. Um, and, and certainly anybody that is there captaining a rescue mission who encounters somebody who self-describes as not human, or at least heavily implies that that is the case, and doesn't then say, what the hell are you talking about? You've got to explain to me, if you're not human, you know, throw him up against the wall and put a gun to his head and say, explain what you you meant by that. Yeah, anything, any captain that doesn't do that in this situation is a flawed character. Really, totally flawed. Um, Yeah, because in classical, that's always what happens, you know, the spaceship's about to crash, and then they suddenly find the Doctor and his companion on it, so they think they must have sabotaged the ship. 
mean, that's happened a lot. Yeah. 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 I mean, you gotta, you gotta believe, I mean, their entire reaction to the doctor and Clara suddenly being there. I mean, I granted, okay. One thing we've got to understand here to be clear is this is, it's not like they are on the, the doctor and Clara are on the ship that this person captains, right? This person oh. is captaining a rescue vessel and she probably has never been on this station before in her life. So she doesn't necessarily need to immediately confront these people as being, you know, a threat to her. Um, and, you know, I guess you could argue he's shown her the I uh, psychic, yeah. psychic paper and, you know. But the thing is, the way in which the doctor, uh, that Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman play that scene it, it doesn't lend any credibility to their, you know, this is not Eccleston swaggering up, showing the thing and saying, hey, I'm who I say I am. Or or Tennant at the beginning of, I don't know, Partners in Crime saying, you know, flashing the badge and saying health and safety, film division. You know, I mean, it, 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 there's no confidence to the way that, that Coleman and Capaldi deliver this. And so any reasonable person, I think, would say, you guys are acting squirrely. What's going on here? You know, um, it's just uh, it's another one of those things where if you watch it, it, you'll be rewarded in some ways, and in some ways you'll be like, "What is going on here? There's something rotten." You know, in the state of Denmark, to quote another Shakespeare thing. You know, it's just it, it's so uh, it's so uh, I guess unrewarding, unfulfilling. It is very much as as uh, Ken has suggested work to watch it again and it is work that it is work that at the end of the day gives you a few lines that are kind of interesting may give you an interesting theme that makes the trip sort of in a sense minimally worthwhile um you know that 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 um you know you have at, at the core of this thing the didactic about the importance of sleep and that that is, you know, in line with what we would expect out of Doctor Who to give us one little morsel of, of learning and actual truth from an episode. And, and it's surprising to find that, that sitting human, for lack of a better word, um, truth in the middle of an episode that is otherwise avant-garde, sort of, or at least avant-garde for Doctor Who. Um, did I lose you again? Hello? Hey, what's again? No, you're still here. Oh, okay. I just heard some odd popping, clicking and stuff. No. But, I mean, it's it's a weird episode in that it does have that sort of duality of the very traditional thing of, I must make sure that I say something that will give a good lesson to people who are watching this thing, and especially to kids who must understand the value of going to sleep, you know. It, it, you know, and I'm sure parents would applaud that, you know, and they would be able to now say to their kids, if you don't go to sleep, the Sandman will get you, right? I mean, and in that sense, I think it's a very useful and kind of cool episode for families, right? Especially if you're the parent of a kid who doesn't like to go to sleep at night, you know, turn off the light, turn off the iPad, go now to sleep or you will be turned into a Sandman or whatever. Great, you know. And and so I think in that sense there there are genuine rewards to be had out of this episode. But 
you have to watch the episode again, and you have to watch it again. And then, you know, each time you watch it, you're going to get something new out of it that you do like, but you're also going to get things out of it that I think that you're really not going to like. Um, and, and, and it's basically just because the plot itself is fundamentally flawed, right? It, it's based on nothing. It's not, you know, I would take some issue with Ken, you know, Ken saying this is something that could be a 10-page comic or whatever, uh, because it's so slight. That's not what I would say the problem is. I would say that the plot itself is built on a foundation of sand, and I suppose I mean it's on there. Um, but it, it is a plot which depends upon you believing in things that simply don't make any sense, that there can be cameras on dust uh, or sand or whatever we're going to call this, um, that, um, you know... There is a uh, a force, a a device that is on the space on the space station, which keeps it from crashing into Neptune. Like that's an important plot point, but it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and you know, uh, and at the very end, you know that we. St- that somehow turning off that device is going to allow for the escape, which is the doctor's conclusion in the episode, to occur. And it doesn't really make any sense why it would, because, you know, you would think if it was gravity plating, like in Star Trek VI, where the blood is flying all over the place and whatnot, um, that would make some sense, right? Because it would clear the Sandmen um, out of the way, and, and the doctor would have a little bit of an advantage because he would know what was about to happen. And so maybe he could push off uh, and do some kind of crazy Florida doomsday gravity thing, right? Um, pull a damn cricket ball out of his coat and throw it against the, you know, something to propel him into the TARDIS past these floating sandmen. You believe that, you know, if that's what they meant by gravity plating, okay, fine. But why exactly hurtling? I mean, if you're hurtling into a planet, isn't your gravity minimally increasing? Oh, not minimally. Isn't it, you know, quite exponentially increasing? You're becoming yeah, heavier. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're adding, you know, stuff. And so it's like, well, what is the... The ending doesn't even make any sense. It's not even as satisfying as, like, the ending to An Unearthly Child, where they're just running to make it to the... TARDIS, and they barely make it in inside before, you know, a spear or whatever is lodged into the front door. I mean, this is just, with one bound, they were free kind of stuff. This is, you know, hey, let me turn off the force shields, and then we're in the TARDIS and closing the door. And we don't know how, you know, what happens in between. It's very unsatisfying when you watch it again and again and again, because you're like, nothing happened there. I don't get it. Uh, you know, so skip the difficult bits. Right, they very much skip the difficult bits, and not only that, but the setup is wrong. It's just, I, I mean, I, you know, I am reminded, and I, th- I think this was something that I said, but you didn't hear. I hope if I'm repeating myself, I apologize. But I am reminded of my reaction in 2000. What have I been? Seven, I suppose. To 42, which I know that Dave, you took some exception to because of how close that that spaceship was to the sun, and you know that it couldn't have possibly, 
escape from the peril that it was in. And that certainly the doctor outside uh, of that spaceship that close to a sun would have been vaporized probably, you know. And, I, you know, my reaction is, okay, fine, I'll grant you that. Doctor Who space fantasy, it's not science fiction. Um, so, you know, <laughs> as long oh, as it emotionally... As long as it emotionally makes sense to me, then it's fine. And 42 does make a great deal of emotional sense. You have to give it that. I like um, it a lot better after I saw the film Sunshine. After I saw Sunshine, I thought 42 was fantastic. Oh, and well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought the comic medium would have been good, not because the plot was slight, but because of the control of panel and juxtaposition and attitude, that point of view could be handled better by a really good comic artist than how they handled it here. And well, you'd get the zinger more and you'd be able to control character a bit better and all of that. I think that was a failing that, to me, that I would, the involvement with character and all of that, that by the end it was like, mm-hmm. okay, and rewatching wouldn't give me any more riches. I got everything the first time around on this and was like, yeah, yeah, seen yeah. it, been there. You know, it, it's yeah. not... Yeah, that was it. But you know, mm-hmm. agree on what you're saying about that. I mean, there are there are good. It, it wasn't totally lacking. There were riches for kids. Uh, mm-hmm. There's the nice historical context. I mean, the, uh, the political the political bent and uh, corporate and and the nice right, uh, right. bits that Shakespeare put in are really good. I mean, and mm-hmm. and, and he reads Shakespeare beautifully. <laughs> so. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, he is sort of tossing off the lines, but that's how those lines should be probably delivered in that context because that's he's no, but he has a nice poetic bent to him. So, I mean. yeah, 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 and and it's you know there are great rewards there uh, in term, and it's such a weird thing that I think you would only get it from Gatus because uh, you know Gatus clearly understands a lot about the very early history of Doctor Who and I I think that he does find it incumbent upon himself to in some way with most every episode that he's written that I can think of to in some way honor the Sidney Newman edict of trying to do some sort of educational value in, in each episode but it's so weird that he remembers that in this episode that is otherwise so avant-garde that um, it basically takes it out of I don't know the realm of I, I don't I don't want to say it takes it out of the realm of the average viewer because I think we might be surprised with the AI numbers which I don't think have been quite delivered yet but I I I wouldn't be surprised if the average not that somehow that Doctor Who viewers would probably be more conservative about this thing than not you know just sort of very casual people who watch Doctor Who without being super fans or whatever. Um, my my feeling is that they'll go for a lot of this and that they'll see it as being um, kind of scary and, and very much like video games that they watch. And, yeah, video, uh, video game uh, attitude, yeah. And, and, and therefore, I think that it stands a real chance of getting a much higher AI than we would think it would. I, I would actually be surprised if it goes below 80 um, but nevertheless, the, I, I think it's such a weird episode for um, not. It, it's it's not just that it's a weird episode for Doctor Who. I think it's just a weird episode for 
people who watch it more than once. And the problem is that it almost demands that you watch it more than once or that you have only the most superficial uh, interaction with it, right? Those are your two choices. I don't think there's the choice of I'm going to watch it now and then, oh, maybe I'll watch it in the middle of the week because I remember it being really good, but maybe I was tired that night. And so tonight when I had less to drink, I'm going to watch it again, right? You know, I don't, I don't think it's that kind of episode. I think it is the kind of episode that either you watch it once and you either like it or don't like it and that's your reaction to it, or you watch it twice and then as you watch it twice you realize, oh, i got to watch it again because I think I missed this part. And you become really obsessed with it, right? It becomes this thing that yeah. you're trying to figure out what the hell went on because you can't believe your own reaction to it. You can't believe that either you really liked it or that you really didn't like it and probably more of the latter. Um, and so you watch it again, and you're like, you know, let me find something. I'm sorry, I've got to break it. I did put some things in text there, guys. I, I've got to jump off at this point oh. uh, to mm-hmm. go and join Podshock. That's 23358, and Ian will take us out. I just want to thank everybody and just read one final thing from the uh, Facebook page from Todd. Um, we did see the episode. Um, I think what they were going for, uh, no, they Somebody's gone and posted something else. Uh, I hate it when they do that. Um, I do agree that it was it was better on a second viewing. One thing I can generally take, I can generally point the episode, is that the TARDIS brought them here simply so Clara could get infected. Infected. The TARDIS never liked Clara anyway. And Jeff Waddle agrees. <laughs> yeah, I'm with the TARDIS on that. Uh, and Ian, uh, apologies to you guys, uh, but I need to go and uh, give some support to Lewis now. Uh, Ian will be able to take us out. Is that okay, Ian? I put him to sleep. No, no I'm sorry. I was muted because of the traffic. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for staying with us. And thanks thanks for uh, trying to pick up where we lost you there, Darth. And I think that sort of all fitted together. And thank you, um, obviously, Rick Wall and Ken and everybody else has contributed. I'm going to bow out now and leave you in Ian's capable grunt hands. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye. All right, where were we before Dave was so rudely interrupted? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> this episode has been been like the episode of Doctor Who itself, and it's been very disappointing to me. Um, I don't know. How about uh, the Mets? Yeah. Have, oh, you mean, yeah, yeah, okay. Out, didn't I? <laughs> out, didn't I? Anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think um, this is a, I don't know, an episode that probably will, it'll probably have some sort of resurgence of, of uh, I think it's like Kenda. I think I, this is one thing I think I would say when nobody can hear me. It reminds me very much of Kenda because back in the day in 81 or whatever when Kenda was on, um, really nobody liked it, right? There's, there's, We didn't have the internet back then, but we did have polls in Doctor Who magazine. And in 81, you know, the poll for best story, I think Kenda was dead last. But Kenda has gone on to become this episode that is revered by the serious, quote-unquote, serious Doctor Who fan, um, led probably by voices like Stephen Moffat and... and uh, Paul Cornell and other people like that, um, who recognize that Kenda is maybe, according to them, 
one of or the best episodes of Doctor Who. And um, I don't think that this story will become the best story of Doctor Who. I'd be very surprised at that if 20 years from now we're saying, oh, you know, what a great thing this was. But I do think it's the kind of episode that you know, stands the chance of moving up considerably in the rankings. Um, mainly because, I don't know if you check Gallifrey Base. I, I like to look at Gallifrey Base in their little uh, ratings thread that they do for each episode where they you know, say, what do you think of this episode? Rank it 1 to 10. Right. Um not because it's scientific, but just because, uh, you know, it is the only place that you can really get a, a, a snapshot with a big enough sample size of people to think this might be what the average Doctor Who fan, not the average, you know, person off the street, but the average Doctor Who fan thought of an episode, uh, you know, within 24 hours of having seen it for the first time. And, you know, when you look at what happened with Love and Monsters, right? Love and Monsters, within 24 hours of its being broadcast, it had two very clear um, uh, foci, right? It was either people thought it was like a 9 or a 10, or people thought it was a 1 or a 2, right? It was crazy. It was so um, polarized, right? And it became the definition of the Marmite episode, right? And this is not that same thing at all. Right. Uh, if you look at what happened last week um, with Zygonoversion, uh, almost immediately it became clear that almost no one thought it was anywhere between one and six. Almost nobody. The vast majority of people thought that it was a nine, I think. Um, but certainly you had something like 85% of people saying it was either eight, nine, or ten. Right. So if you are, are the kind of person that identifies with uh, Gallifrey Base, maybe not all the bitching that goes on there, but just you know the uh, uh, the fact that you are a core Doctor Who fan, a super Doctor Who fan, then you probably would have liked Zygon Inversion, right? I mean, that's a pretty good with that many people, fifteen hundred, two thousand people saying it's probably an eight, nine, or ten. Then it probably is an eight, nine, or ten, unless you're just really contrary in your views, right? This one though, um, and I haven't checked in a few hours, but Earlier today, it was either it was basically like uh, between eight and fifteen percent said it was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten. Right. So nobody can make up their mind what they think about this thing. I find that utterly fascinating. Right. Uh, as somebody who just sort of likes statistics, even though these are not, you know great statistics that are going on because it's not an unbiased sample. But nevertheless, um, I, uh, I, it, it, it is the most unusual reaction that I have seen to a Doctor Who episode, I think, since the new era started. Well, I didn't actually track up uh, season one, so I don't know. But since season two, this is by far the most unusual reaction. And I just find that utterly fascinating. And and if you go and read the comments, and that's a very dangerous thing to do, but nevertheless, if you read the comments at Gallifrey Base, um, it's crazy. It's crazier than it usually is, right? People saying, this is a one, and then the next one will be, this one's ten. And the next one will be, well, actually, it's kind of in the middle. And the next person saying, well, 
it was more bad than good, but it was still had some good points. You know, just crazy amounts of variability, very individualistic reactions. It's and, and you know, at this early stage, it's nobody following the leader. It's just, you know, people actually giving their initial reactions. I find it fascinating where this thing is playing. And I, I, I literally think that this is also an episode that um, in time it might be an episode that will change your mind every time you watch it. You know, after you've gotten past the, the you know, format change that it has and all that, uh, I, I, I can easily see that if you bring yourself to watch it again, and that might be a big if for some people here, but, you know, if you watch it in a year from now, you might think, wow, that was actually really good. I really enjoyed that, much better than what I remember it being. Um, kind of like my reaction to some episodes of The Eleventh Doctor, you know, some that I just really didn't like, I now pretty much like. I also think that this is an episode that, for the majority of people, at least right now, um, might be something that they can use to redefine what's bad. Right, so that this is an episode that will unintentionally help out Fear Her, or The End of Time, or uh, Love of Monsters, or whatever. Um, I, I definitely think, though, it is never an episode that is going to be an, an experimental episode that is seen as successful as Blink, or certainly not Midnight, certainly not Turn Left, right? Um, and I know that I've just named episodes that are all Doctor or Companion Light, and this is neither. But nevertheless, it is, you know, as an experimental episode, I think that this one will go down as probably, for most Doctor Who fans, maybe not most people, but most Doctor Who fans, I think we'll see this as less successful than, you know, some of those other episodes. Um, and it's just, it's... To me, that's what makes it fascinating. Uh, but fascination is not the same thing as enjoyment, right? And I think that we need to heed Ken kind of when, you know, he, again, he points out, yes, you can go back and watch it. Yes, you will find things in it that you like. But basically, it is not the most enjoyable thing in the world. World, And you're not going to sit down with a beer and watch this thing because you risk very clearly, you know, falling asleep if you do that, I think. Um, so, crazy episode. With a, a lot, uh, engenders a lot of talk, at least to me, obviously. But, um, it, not necessarily, uh, I think one that will improve over time, but not one that will, I can't imagine it ever being seen as a classic. And, it's also one that really troubles me long term, because if you suggest that Mark Gatiss is in the running for becoming the showrunner, Oh my God, does this thing worry me? Because, like like Ken said, you know, he he seems extraordinarily proud of this thing, and the BBC seems very proud of it because they've been announcing this episode um, throughout the week as Mark Gatiss, Master of Terror, brings you, you know, what? No, he's not the Master of Terror. He should not be promoted, especially. <laughs> oh, and it really sickened me in the. Um, Doctor Who, what are we calling it now? Not Confidential. What's it called now? Showcase. Whatever the hell it is. Uh, the little behind-the-scenes thing. How, like, every member of the cast 
said, what a joy it is to be working on a Mark Davis script, as if they had to pay homage to the heir apparent or something. <laughs> God, just sickened me. That dude is the luckiest son of a bitch on the planet for being friends with Stephen Moffat. He, I'm sorry, really needs to go away from Doctor Who because he just he's not doing anything that is consistently great. So I guess that's all I was going to say. I can't remember now. <laughs> <laughs> You remembered it, huh? <laughs> hey, we had another half hour idea. I'm happy. <laughs> All right, and a missing half hour. hour. In the missing half hour, yes. We're never going to get that back. That's probably more enticing uh, for, for Colton than, than this episode was. Missing half hour. We deliberately missed that, you see. It was deliberately missing, so you could you know guess what they said. Kind of like in the episode where there was that missing footage. <clears throat> yeah, that felt flat. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> any, any, any more to say there, Ken? Because I've I know. We've lost Rickwall. Rickwall has uh, left the building. Alrighty, well, that that about wraps it up for us, I guess. Um, oh, and I've forgotten that cool ID. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Podshock's happening on Talkshoe right now. If you want to hop on over there, and uh, they're doing something a little bit different. They're doing uh, the the. I think they had done the first two episodes. Now they're doing um, the series up until now, and bring a little more than this episode today. So uh, if you want to head on over there, uh, I think it's two double three five eight. If I'm not mistaken, but I'll confirm that in just a second. Yeah, in just a second. This is the. Internet works. <laughs> no, it's not going to work. Sorry. But yes, uh, just go to the main menu on TalkShoot and you'll see Podshock Live. And you can join Lewis and uh, Dave is over there. He's defected. And uh, you can uh, join him right then. Oh, never mind. Uh, can everyone still hear me? Uh, yes, hi. Hey, yeah, yeah, you still hear me? Good. Yep, I can hear you. I've lost control of the... Uh... You're going in and out a bit. Hold on. Hmm. Stuff up a little bit here. <laughs> Dave's gonna get me, Dave's gonna get me, Dave's gonna get me. <laughs> yeah, I bet you don't have the ability to start the show, do you? No, I don't right now. No, I don't. Because yeah, I clicked on the clicked on the other bit to get that bit, and uh, yeah. Hmm. Talk amongst yourselves while I figure out how to shut this thing off. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear! I don't know how you do it. I'm trying to sign in right now. Hopefully, Dave doesn't listen back to me. <laughs> Dave, if you're listening now, it's not my fault. I'm really, really, it's not. Uh, I think you just lost your Christmas bonus. <laughs> I have control back, I hope. Cole is talking for you. All right. Well, let's see how well this goes. Uh, as per usual, we're going to play the next time clip and then our outro music. 
So if you don't want to hear what's going to be happening next week, close your ears. Um, so yeah, that's what's coming up next. And uh, horn honking. Yeah, it's all live on this show, horn honking. It's the new nice. thing. It's what all the kids are doing. <laughs> it's going to be the worst ending to a show ever. All right. Until next time, <laughs> it's goodbye from me, and it's uh, goodbye from Dave AC, who's already wandered off. Thank you guys for joining us, and we shall see you all <laughs> next week. <laughs> Bye-bye for now. Here comes the next time clip. Richie! Hey, what's on? So I have this, uh... It kind of looks like a tattoo. There's no nice way to say you're about to die. What? I don't know who did this to you, but I do almost certainly know how to find them. But this is your life then, bouncing around time, saving people. There have always been rumors. Mutterings about hidden streets, secret pockets of alien life right here on Earth. Peace on this street depends on one thing. To break it is to face the razor. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.